0: It's time to eat. Get in my belly. Sit down and get ready to consume an abundance of fantasy football knowledge from Ross Tucker and Evan Silva. Me so hungry. On the Fantasy Feast Eatin' Podcast. Yeah, let's eat, baby. It is the Fantasy Feast Eating Podcast. And if you're looking for a place to make your online wagers, head over to betonline.ag. Use promo code PODCAST1 to get a 50% sign-up bonus today. He is the best that ever lived. Evan Silva. At Evan Silva on Twitter. He is simply the best fantasy in the galaxy. And I love breaking it down. Man, Evan, it is almost July, my friend. I mean, fantasy season is just about here. It's crazy how fast it comes around each year now. Check him out on Twitter, at Evan Silva, like I do. I'm Ross Tucker, long-time NFL offensive lineman. Well, at least seven years felt like a long time. And uh, now I'm a broadcaster. got a bunch of different podcasts. Most of you already know that, but if you don't, you can certainly check him out over at RossTucker.com. A lot of good stuff for you. Speaking of good stuff, If you guys like meat, I've been talking about this on the Ross Tucker Football Podcast. You've got to go to butcherbox.com. Best meat I've ever gotten from any service that sends it directly to your house. If you use the code Tucker, you get 20 bucks off and free bacon every month, which is amazing. Anytime we can get Warren Sharp on the show, it is an awesome, awesome day. If you're not following at sharp football on Twitter, you're just doing it wrong. And if you're not buying his book, you're doing it wrong. What is the status, by the way, Warren, of the book? My guess is it would be ready to go, but you have a an editor who just won't get it done for you. <laughs>
1: uh, no, it's 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 uh it's getting close. This thing is really a labor of love. Um, It takes forever to do because it's pretty much myself writing it. And then I have Evan who edits it. Uh, But there's still more chapters that I have to write. Some of the upfront matter is still in process, but all the team chapters are finished. Evan's working his butt off to edit those and get them done. The current status is we're looking to have this thing out by July 2nd. So uh, right before everybody heads to – Fourth of July, they can, uh, they can hopefully get a copy, and, uh, and that's what, where we're looking at right now.
0: Awesome. Um, and for people that don't know, I think most of you already do, uh, he is pretty much the best in the business when it comes to this stuff. you got to check out Warren's predictive NFL analytics, visualized data at sharpfootballanalysis.com and sharpfootballstats.com. .com. I obviously made the joke about the editor because Evan is the one editing your book. And I know, Evan, you have some specific questions for Warren just based on, you know, your, your reading through of his book.
2: Yeah, I mean, while, while I'm editing this book, you know, it's like taking a mind warp into the mind of Warren Sharp. you know. So I, I get the way that he, like, thinks. Uh, but I still come away from... from editing with some questions but also i wanted to just ask some questions that i kind of already knew the answer to just from having edited the book but so that the audience can get a taste and also um, shout out to uh, matt kelly of roto underworld for also helping uh, on a bunch of edit edit on some teams uh, later in the alphabet i've got about 16 of the teams done on the front end at the the top of the alphabet uh, and also to adam harstad of uh, football guys who is also helping out uh, with some of the editing. We've got some really good guys uh, on the job, but yeah, let's, let's start it off. One of the big topics that you had talked about really for years, um, but teams are still not doing enough of is the early down passing to running backs, throwing the football to running backs on first down. Um, teams are still running the ball too much and often just, straight up the middle. Like it's a, it's a comfortable play almost for them to call. Um, But you continue to advocate for throwing the football to running backs on early downs, particularly first down. Why do you think that that's so beneficial, Warren? Why do you think that that, that doing that uh, is such an efficient play?
1: Well, it's, it's a very efficient play, number one, because the most optimal times to throw the ball are when the defense is playing run, and the optimal times to run the football are when the defense is playing pass. And you can create conflict with the defense when they think that you're going to be handing the ball off to the running back, but you're actually throwing it to him. Um, in addition to like the schematic edges, just in general of getting the ball to a player out in space away from the congestion of, his five offensive linemen, plus one if there's a tight end in there, lined up in line, as well as the defensive line all stacked in there and linebackers shooting down to fill the gaps. You can get the guy out in space a little bit easier. He gets the ball quickly. He's to the line of scrimmage, technically, the, the, the horizontal line across the field, quicker than he would be if he's trying to fight through all the traffic, um, and he has the ability to see who's coming at him and make a move against them. Um, they are more successful have higher yards per play than do run plays. So there's a ton of advantages and I write about it at length in a couple of the different team chapters with some various teams that are able to run the ball a lot more effectively, uh, or sorry, throw the ball to running backs a lot more effectively. It's just a high floor play. The completion rate is extremely high on these plays. And it really is one of these like extended handoffs. Um, and, and so it's just so efficient. It's much better than running the football. But let's take one team, for example, the Carolina Panthers. So in 2016, Cam Newton, they passed the ball the sixth least of any team in the NFL on early down. Um, and neither early down passes nor rushes exceeded a 46% success rate. In 2017, Newton passed the ball the fourth least of any quarterback in the NFL on early down. Um, And neither early down passes nor rushes exceeded a 48% success rate. So they're below average on whatever they do. They're a very run-oriented team on early downs. Enter Norv Turner. And I, for one, was a little bit skeptical as to what we might get out of this offense. I didn't know how Cam would mesh with Norv. I thought there could be some problems in that uh, heading into the season. Cam actually posts his best year as a pro, um, if you're obviously his 2015 season where he threw 35 touchdowns was better, but in terms of his efficiency, his completion rate, uh, his yards per attempt hit one of his all-time highs, especially in the last four, in, in last three years, uh, they passed the ball on early downs the 11th most of any team in the league. And those early down passes plus rushes both exceeded a 53% success rate. So by them passing the ball more, it actually made their run game a little bit more effective and efficient as well because defenses didn't get to uh, witness all of these predictable run plays so frequently that they were yeah. prepared to stop. So by creating that conflict, it helped make the run game more efficient and it certainly made Cam more efficient on early downs. And he had a, he ended up having a really good season um, until of course he got injured late in the year.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You, you mentioned that the predictability and, Especially in the Jaguars chapter, um, you talk a lot about um, how frustrating their play calling was, uh, particularly in that that Patriots game that they blew. They had a chance to go to the Super Bowl. I think they were up by two scores. Um, and uh, the, the play calling, we'll, we'll get more into that uh, when we talk a little bit more about Nathaniel Hackett, who now is the Packers offensive coordinator. I wonder if that will be a concern there. Um, but yeah, you just look at the catch rates of running backs, I mean, they're they're usually like in the eighty to eighty five percent range and then the catch rate for a wide receiver typically in the sixty to sixty five percent range. So you're giving yourself a really high four, high percentage play. You're getting the ball to a freaking NFL running back who is, you know, maybe pound for pound the most athletic player on an NFL roster. You know, a guy who can run four four at at 225 pounds, you know, this guy's like a, a an unbelievable athlete, and he grew up returning kicks. And he, you know, has played running back all his life, and you know he's really good with the ball in his hands. Um, the Cowboys also did a better job of that uh, last year, throwing the ball to Ezekiel Elliott on early downs. His receiving usage spiked, um, and that was good. I think that one team that we may see do that more is the Jaguars, because under Nathaniel Hackett, they did it so little. So little early down passing to running backs. Even though they had T.J. Yeldon, a very good receiving back on the roster, I would love to see them get Leonard Fournette involved more um, as a, a receiver on early down. This guy's averaged eight and a half yards per reception since entering the league. He's got right around the 80% catch rate. Very capable receiver, you know, as opposed to banging him into the back of the offensive line and, um, you know, risking more injuries. I mean, the, the guy has been on the shelf uh, quite a bit since entering the league. Wanted to move on to uh, the next question. And One thing, Evan, um, let me, inter- let me, let me yeah, interject real quick.
1: I want to just say that if you look around the league, okay, one I, I was on the early down passes to running backs, like you mentioned, several years ago. But one of the things that I've noticed over the last couple of years is Pay close attention to some of the really smart teams in the league. See what they do. You know, track what they do. The two highest teams with the highest pass rate to running backs on early downs in the NFL are the Patriots and the New Orleans Saints. And we've got two of the most uh, efficient, smart, uh, creative play callers in the league, and Sean Payton uh, with the New Orleans Saints. And up in New England, obviously, Bill Belichick is leading. Uh, that offense uh, and the overall team, but two smart coaches and two great Pro Bowl Hall of Fame quarterbacks, yet they're throwing the football to running backs because they realize how much it helps the quarterback's performance and the performance of the offense. Anybody can do it. I tweeted out a thread about uh, or a post about how Andy Reid is so awesome with designing these running back passes, especially on early downs. Uh, people need to go and you know, offensive quarters need to study the way that Andy Reid designs these running back passes because they're the best in the NFL. And more teams around the league need to realize and and kind of, uh, I think, swallow their pride a little bit. They want to, like, develop and design all these downfield passes on on first downs or stick to the run a little bit. Why don't you just try to focus on the upside of what some of these really smart teams are doing, and they're actually throwing the ball a lot to their running backs.
2: Yeah, and um, I wanted to just move on to a couple of offenses that um, you and I are are in lockstep on both of these, and I we we think that they're going to be better than it seems like the public believes right now. Um, Number one is the Cardinals uh, moving to Cliff Kingsbury. Um, The the comparison that is most commonly drawn is to Chip Kelly. I guess just based on the fact that they came from college and. You know, they play fast. And you know, I think that people forget that Chip Kelly's offense was awesome, that it like literally took the league by storm. and then he was given GM duties and he he traded away all their good players. And you know, I think that definitely some ego went into that. He just felt like his scheme was, you know it mattered more than the players, potentially. And I think that that was his downfall, not the offense. The offense was torn to pieces by the rest of the league in terms of just stealing takeaways from from Chip Kelly's offense. I mean, the offense really changed a lot about the way that we that offense is playing, is played today. Even though he didn't have like ultimate one loss success in Philadelphia, and then the uh, the the other offense that I think we are hired on than most people is the Ravens offense and that doesn't seem to make sense because you know you talk so much about um how you believe that the passing game should be more voluminous in the NFL but the Ravens are a running team so can you just talk a little bit about those two offenses and maybe why you're more optimistic than most people about them this year
1: yeah, let's start with the last one, the, the Baltimore Ravens. And I agree. I mean, a lot it's its fun to hate on Baltimore, right, because they're building their team a totally different way. They're building with tight ends. They're building on the ground. But the cool thing about the Ravens is uh, I'm a firm believer in the league that if you find something different to do and do it really well, you're going to have success. Now, we know the underlying values in the league and what's more beneficial is to pass the football, uh, especially more often on early downs. Uh, but the way that the Ravens run the ball is in a totally non-traditional manner, and they're having a lot of success in doing so. Um, and you have to study the strengths of your team and incorporate that. I think a lot. One of the biggest misconceptions of the uh, Baltimore Ravens is Lamar Jackson's ability to throw the football. Um, you know, myself and a lot of people watch the game, and they they see all these mistakes that he was making last year, and they see all these uh, problems. But If you look at what Lamar Jackson um, did last year, it was really impressive. His 7.1 yards per attempt was better than Flacco in any of Flacco's last four years. Lamar Jackson's 84.5 pass rating, not great, but that was better than Joe Flacco in any of his last four years. His touchdown rate, 3.5%, better than Flacco in any of his last four years. And oh, by the way, Lamar Jackson... Didn't have a full training camp. Got inserted midway through the season as a as a rookie, so he didn't get all of the starters' reps during camp. They came in and they completely overhauled the office. They shifted everything in the span of a bye week. They went from the number one most pass heavy offense in one score games to the most number one run heavy offense in one score games. They completely shifted out of both their starting running backs, like the guys who were getting all the carries. They threw them to the curb, brought on new running backs who are going to run in this offense, and and Lamar Jackson had to take all of that on the fly. Now, it is a huge credit and testament to the coaches that were surrounding him, um, but I like the coaches that they've got this year with Greg Roman. He's got a ton of history on uh, having productive running quarterbacks that are able to do things. If you talk about, like, Colin Kaepernick, if you talk about um, some of the things that Tyrod Taylor was capable of doing, under Greg Roman. Um, So I'm big on the ability of Lamar Jackson in the offense to kind of continue to develop himself. And yes, he needs to get better as a, as a passer. There's no doubt about it, but um, I'm very optimistic with the way that this season ended. And I think that it's weird to say that they went to the playoffs and they got their butts kicked by the chargers and the chargers really limited them um, in, in terms of their overall success rate and their yards per carry on the ground. They, cut out the run game. But what ended up happening was this team was forced all of a sudden to lean on Lamar Jackson. And he was going up against the NFL's number 10 pass defense. He delivered in the fourth quarter eight and a half yards per attempt and a 117 passer rating. And I think really gained a lot of confidence in doing that. And I think that's a great way to transition him into the 2019 season whereby the Ravens don't have to just rely entirely on this ground game. They've got pieces in place. Uh, through the draft where they can start throwing the football a little bit more down the field uh, with Marquise Brown being drafted, Miles Boykin. They've got tight ends who can play in the passing game as well. I think they're going to be able to entrust Lamar his arm a little bit more, and this is going to be a very difficult offense to predict what they're going to call on various plays, and that's what I talked about earlier, being unpredictable, uh, creating conflict for the defense pre-snap. I think they're going to be able to do that. With regard to the Arizona Cardinals, again, a very different and unique style of offense that they're going to be rolling out there. If you talk about the four verts, 10 personnel, which is one running back, no tight ends, and uh, four wide receivers, we're going to see a lot of shotgun, a lot of passing. um, And the first and foremost thing about a team, especially a team that's going to rely on throwing the football more, is the quarterback. The quarterback has to be good. And I actually was speaking um, at MIT Sloan analytics Conference this past year and Mike Leach was there. And I talked to Mike, Mike Leach in the green room a little bit. He of course is from Texas tech, obviously uh, Washington state. He's one of the, uh, like the guys, the godfather, so to speak, of the air raid offense. Mm-hmm. And what, he, he mentioned five of the key traits that he cares about in order for a quarterback. And his first one was accuracy. Second one was, will, will he make good decisions? Third one is, does he have quick feet? The fourth one is, is he fast? And at the very bottom of the list, the fifth one is, does he have a strong arm? And he said most of the Hall of Fame quarterbacks possess only three of these traits, if you think about, like, Tom Brady and Drew Brees. You know, not, not those, those guys aren't really quick. They're not fast feet. Uh, but they're, they've got the other thing. Kyler Murray possesses probably, at this point, four of those five traits. Um, time will tell if he makes good decisions at the NFL level, but he's a very good uh, prospect to fit in this offense. And so I think there's just a, a great starting basis for Cliff Kingsbury with the way that this offense is going to spread you out and be able to dice you
2: up. Yeah, just and just two quick notes on each of those offenses. Lamar Jackson as a passer at Louisville got better every single season. I mean, we what we saw is the worst case scenario so far for Lamar Jackson. He took, and you talk about this a lot in the book. He he took second team reps all last offseason. They recreated their offense on the fly, you know, during their bye week, essentially uh, last year. He they overhauled the receiver core. They got a bunch of young uh, talent and speed and athleticism in their pass catcher core. I think that Mark Andrews is highly highly underrated and undervalued. He I do a, a fantasy corner at the end of each chapter. I edit, edit, and uh, he was the subject of my my fantasy corner uh, for the the Ravens page. Um, you know, I love the speed of Marquise Brown. Um, they've got a pretty good offensive line. Uh, all their all their big time studs coming back. And then for the Cardinals, you know, the the biggest source of criticism of the Cardinals is are they going to be able to protect Tyler Murray? But Cliff Kingsbury, first of all, they are going to be able to protect Kyler Murray. Um, number one, is his mobility is going to be like a night and day change from Sam Bradford and Josh Rosen. He's going to make the offensive line look better. Cliff Kingsbury was great at making his offensive line look better. You know, in six years at Texas Tech, he only had one offensive lineman drafted during that entire time frame. Um, Raven Clark, who's like barely lasting in the league. So they had to make do with inferior talent. Again, you talk about all, all this in the book. You talk about Mumme, how mummy, he, how he came up with the air raid spread offense. But Cliff Kingsbury especially was so good about having his quarterbacks get rid of the football quickly. And number three, they did make off offseason additions to the offensive line. Marcus Gilbert, when he's been healthy, he's, you know, a top 10 right tackle in the league. And they did sign J.R. Sweezy to shore up one of their guard positions. Their center, Mason Cole, is entering his second season. Had a rocky first year. But, you know, he could he could make a big year-two leap. They've got Justin Pugh, who hasn't been great in the NFL, but he's been a starter for a long time. And they need get D.J. Humphreys to stay healthy. And, look, it's still going to be, we're, you know, when we do Ross's offensive line cheers, it's probably still going to be a bottom-five unit. Um but I think it's going to look a lot better on the field because of the mobility and because of what Cliff Kingsbury stresses offensively. Let's go back to Nathaniel Hackett, um, who was devout about running the ball uh, up the back of his center, um, often in his backup center um, last year, after, especially after Brandon Linder went down. Uh, but he was adamant about doing that. We don't know if it, that was kind of forced upon him by Doug Marone or, or what have you. But he, the, the Jaguars' play calling with Nathaniel Hackett was, you know, directly in, in the eye of, of what you you'd kind of preach, Warren. Um, now he goes to Green Bay. Should be worried. Should we be worried that Nathaniel Hackett um, is going to? make more suboptimal play calls when he goes to Green Bay with with Matt LaFleur? Well,
1: you know, it's a a tough call because I don't really know what the hell was happening with the Jacksonville Jaguars, with Nathaniel Hackett. I mean, for a couple of straight years, he had issues. Um, They were playing way too conservatively when the team held the lead, especially in the second half and into the fourth quarter. That's how they blew the lead to the Patriots in the AFC championship game, despite being up 10, almost heading to the Super Bowl, That's how they blew the lead against the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, last season when they were up, I think it was like 16 to nothing um, late in the third quarter. And they blew that lead and he got fired not long after that. Um, You know, they, they, I do not like the way that he calls plays in certain situations. uh, But I guess from a, from a positive uh, perspective, He's got a fresh start, and he actually finally has a quarterback who's going to be able to be entrusted to throw the football in Aaron Rodgers so that you don't have to build your offense around Blake Bortles. That being said, I think uh, most of this offense possibly is going to be called by Matt LaFleur. And Matt LaFleur, I don't know what the heck that guy was doing last season when he was with the Tennessee Titans. Um, Again, I realize you do have Marcus Mariota, and you're dealing with – his arm and his passing. But even before Mariota got injured, um, this team was running the ball at a tremendously high rate. I did not like the way that the offense uh, was trying to optimally call plays. And this team, you know, he came in there. This is the most frustrating thing about Matt LaFleur coming into Tennessee for the one season. They had Doug Marone It was an exotic smash mouth. That's what this team was. It was on the ground, run the football, establish our identity, run the ball in different unique ways, which really weren't so different and unique. They were mostly just bad. And they brought in uh, Matt LaFleur to try to change and overhaul this offense. Give me a touch of Sean McVay, sprinkle some Sean McVay dust all over the Tennessee Titans. Let's make this offense exciting. 11 personnel, let's call optimal plays. And what ends up happening – he ends up running the ball more frequently and less efficiently than did Doug Marone's offense in either of the two years that Doug Marone's offense was there. I mean, this team was running the ball more than the exotic smash mouth and doing so less efficiently. So I don't know what we're going to get up in green Bay with these two guys going there. Um, They obviously need to optimize their offense and their decision-making Um, it doesn't help that Matt LaFleur, I think he tore his Achilles. So he's having to coach and get his team together uh, from a cart. Uh, He also is having to, uh, you know, he's talking about Aaron Rodgers, and, and he doesn't want him calling any audibles and they're going to go start debating over that. I mean, Uh, they've got a lot of work. Hopefully it's a more smooth transition than what I envision, but I definitely uh, have some concerns with that offense up there. Although I will say it can't be that much worse than it's been in prior years. Um, So hopefully upside is the way that they're going to head in 2019.
2: Yeah, that was something that really stood out from the, um, the Packers chapter talking about Matt LaFleur's history and how he during his one year in Tennessee ran the ball actually more than the Mike Malarkey offenses from 2016 through 2017. Um, But uh, hopefully, I mean, what I wanted for Aaron Rodgers, just give him like the, the Randy Fickner, you know, give him the Ben Roethlisberger treatment. You don't need to coach Aaron Rodgers hard at this stage of his career. Just let him be the offensive coordinator, you know, and just you worry about the rest of the team. Um, I think that Aaron Rodgers is plenty capable of doing that, um, but it doesn't seem like they're gonna they're trying to do that at all. It seems like they're really trying to install um, because uh, they're trying to do an install of, of an entirely different offense because one of the worst things that Matt Lafour did was uh, when he got to Green Bay, which he showed the team a uh, video of like you know that two thousand and sixteen year with Matt Ryan throwing a bunch of uh, you know, vertical, vertical touchdown bombs. And, you know, it seems like that's the offense that they want to install in Green Bay. Good, good luck to them. Um, I, you know, I thought that Frank Wright might become one of my favorite NFL coaches as soon as he admitted that in Philadelphia he was doing research projects on conventional wisdom thinking and seeing if those kind of old football axi- axioms still held true. Some of them did not. Some of them did. Um, but I, I love that about Frank Reich. W- where do you think that Frank Reich most separated himself as a pro- promising head coach in his first year with the Colts last year? Oh, and also, what do you think about that? You know, he got criticized a lot for uh, going for a fourth down in overtime in the Colts' own territory against the Texans. People say it cost him a win. Um What were your your general thoughts on Frank Reich in year one?
1: I was exceedingly impressed by what Frank Reich did there. Uh, I think he's just a really smart head coach. First of all, that play call on fourth down, uh, by the numbers, it was the right play. Uh, If you look at the time remaining and realize if he doesn't get it, then they're probably going to lose the game. Uh, That is very true. Uh, At the same time, um, if he punts the ball, then the game's probably going to be a tie. And I think he realized that he'd rather just go for the win, um, that the tie may not help him so much. And he really wanted to spark his team and show them a lot of belief. The team didn't have a great record at the point in time, and he really wanted to come in and show them uh, like a teaching moment. So I think he was able to couple that with just uh, a plus-EV decision, and you know it didn't work out. But guess what? The rest of the season did. And his strategy with Andrew Luck also worked out. A lot of coaches, especially a coach in his own uh, division there, Bill O'Brien, would not have taken the same approach, would not have taken this approach that what uh, of how what he did with Andrew Luck. If you look for instance that Bill O'Brien, this is one of the most pass-heavy, sorry, run-heavy offenses in the NFL, not taking proper advantage of Deshaun Watson, Frank Wright comes in, and all we hear the entire offseason is that Andrew Luck hasn't thrown a pass. Andrew Luck is not in football shape. Will he ever even play again? What's going to happen to his arm? This is such a disaster. He's been throwing college football. He's not been throwing a pro football. He's been throwing a high school football. You know, all these different um, discussion points about, is he throwing a tennis ball? What is he even throwing? Um, and everybody was so scared of Andrew Luck. And what does Frank Reich do? They go 60% pass on first downs in the first half, the third highest rate in the NFL. Why is he throwing the ball so much with a quarterback who we got questions about his arm? We don't know what he's going to do. Well, guess what? That's going to keep them out of third and long situations by having a high pass rate on first down. They're going to avoid that. And guess what? They face the second fewest average yards to go on third down, only 6.3 yards to go. That was the second best rate in the entire NFL by being such a pass-heavy team on first downs in the first half. Um, They ranked sixth in my custom analytic early down success rate. So they're really good at bypassing third downs altogether. And when they did get faced with third downs, they were very achievable third down situations. Um, That helps the quarterback. That prevents him from taking extra hits and extra damage that you sustain when you're in third and predictable, which is like third and long. So, Frank Reich did something, came in, did something completely non-conventional that most coaches would not do with a quarterback like Andrew Luck and had a lot of success. Another thing that he did was he adapted his personnel. The six weeks when Jack Doyle was healthy, the Colts used the third most 12 personnel and the third least 11 personnel on early downs. So they were very much a two-tight end team when Jack Doyle was healthy. But when Jack Doyle went out, obviously, as we know, he got injured um We had high hopes for him last year, but he got injured. Their 11 personnel rate skyrocketed. They were the third least when Jack Doyle was healthy. They went to the second most 11 personnel in the entire league once Jack Doyle went out when passing on early downs. So Frank Reich clearly adapted to his personnel. Um, So he did a couple things most coaches don't do. He passed the ball a lot on early downs one of the highest rates in the league which helped them avoid third and long situations and he did so with a quarterback that the entire media sphere was talking about is is not even ready to play football this year and then he also was great at adapting his personnel something that a lot of other coaches don't do enough they say well this is my system i want to run this and i'm just going to execute this but Frank Reich realized when his player went down, he's going to have to overhaul a lot of the things that they did, and he was able to do that. And his team had a ton of success the first year uh, in, in Indianapolis. And I'm obviously optimistic about his ability to continue making plus EV coaching decisions this year and into the future up in Indy.
0: Last question uh, that I have, Warren, and then uh, we'll get you out of here is just the Bears. I, know, I remember last year, a lot of people liked the Bears. Uh, on the over in their win total bets. Do you think the Bears continue to progress from what we saw last year, or do you think that they take a step back?
1: Well, the Bears had so many things going for them um, last season. If we remember, they had they were one of the most beat up, injured teams on an annual basis. Like starting in 2016, they were a bottom five team in terms of their injury rate literally the last two years, 32 and 31, they moved up to the third most healthiest team in terms of adjusted games loss, which is a football outsiders metric that they track. Uh, That's a huge uh, benefit that they had last season. They also had one of the easiest jumps in terms of strength of schedule that they played from 2017 to 2018. It was the easiest jump in the league in terms of the shift in strength of schedule they got a ton of new players that they added to the mix, whether it's Allen Robinson, Taylor Gabriel, Trey Burton. And then, of course, right at the start of the season, they add Khalil Mack on the defense. Um, and, and so this was like a night and day difference from John Fox and Dowell Loggins as offensive coordinator to what they brought in with Matt Nagy, the increased health, the better players, the easier schedule. Uh, Mitch Trubisky's sophomore season, which ended up being a lot better, and a lot of quarterbacks do have better sophomore seasons. um i'm not so sure that this year we're going to see the same level of um, expectations i mean this team should still be a good team a strong offense um all things being considered but their schedule of run defenses takes one of the biggest jumps in difficulty this year uh they don't have vic Fangio's de- uh genius uh, on the defensive side of the football and You know, if you look at who they played last year, I talked about them having an easy schedule. When they did play good quarterbacks like Tom Brady, like Aaron Rodgers, like Russell Wilson, these guys were putting up decent numbers against them. Uh, Even Brock Osweiler put up a 90, was it like a 94? Sorry, a 9.5 yards per attempt and a 104 uh, passer rating. So the, the defense looked awesome against like Nathan Peterman and Eli and Nick Mullins and Nick Foles and Sam Darnold and Sam Bradford, uh, but they, they didn't do quite as well against some of the more above-average quarterbacks in the league, and they've got a tough schedule this year. They play the Saints, Chargers, Eagles, and Rams in a five-week span. They end the season with the Cowboys, Packers, Chiefs, and Vikings in consecutive weeks. Um, I, I'm not super high on the North. I think Matt Patricia is just just torpedoing the the offense of the Detroit Lions in a terrible way with some of his reliance on the run game and forcing his team to be more run-heavy offense. Um, and uh, and I'm not overall just as high on the NFC North as some people are. So I think the Bears are certainly going to be contention to win that uh, division, but I don't think the season is going to look nearly as easy to them this upcoming year as it did last year.
0: Warren. Where can people get your book? And I don't even know if I asked you the name of it at, at the start so people can find it when it's available.
1: It's, it's just going to be called Warren Sharp's 2019 Football Preview, and it's going to be sold up on Amazon uh, probably around July 2nd. Uh, we haven't got it uh, officially you know, certified to be published uh, there in terms of uh, – like uh, accepted, but it's, go- it's going to be submitted there. And it usually takes about a three day turnaround. So as soon as we're done, it's going to be up there on Amazon. And that's, that's the best spot to find it. You can also eventually buy the PDF. If you prefer the PDF at sharpfootballanalysis.com. but, uh, the book itself, uh, the best spot to grab that is definitely going to be Amazon.
0: Awesome. Warren always appreciate the time. And like I say, you really need to be following him on Twitter at sharp Football to get his sharp insight is that your real last name, or did you like is that like your your stage name
1: no that's that's uh fortunately the my real last name
0: well, it works out very well thanks Warren
1: thanks for having me Ross
0: man that was incredible it really was that was unbelievable uh I love episodes like this. We could do this. So much more. Oh, so good. Almost as good as getting a 50% welcome bonus when you go to betonline.ag and use the promo code podcast1. Think about that. I know NBA and NHL are over, but use the information that you just got and go to betonline.ag. Use the promo code podcast one, get the 50% welcome bonus. Send me the email after you get the email confirmation and ask me any question you want you want me to ask Evan here on the Fantasy Feast podcast. It's that easy. At any rate, I'm stuffed. We're done. Thanks for listening to the Fantasy Feast podcast. Make sure to also subscribe to the Ross Tucker football podcast, Even Money, and the College Draft podcast, all available on iTunes at Rostucker.com or wherever
2: podcasts can be found.